Hi everyone, welcome to the Restoring Rapport Podcast. My name is Seth Hensley and this is a show dedicated to young believers pursuing the goal of healthy marriage and family. You know, we live in a world where getting married and starting a family is far too often postponed for longer than God designed and pushed to the back burner in favor of less important things. But the good news is that it doesn't have to stay this way. As young believers, we have the choice to prioritize what matters most in our lives every day and to live face to face with God and others. Every Thursday and Sunday on this show, I'll be sharing research conducting interviews and reviewing articles on the importance of marriage and family for society. I'll also be releasing exclusive content such as spoken word poetry, allegorical short stories, and bonus episodes for subscribers. Friends, God did not set us up to live life alone. The truth of the matter is that every minute of your adult life that you wait to marry is a minute of your life that you're not spending with your life partner. While some might be content to live with the consequences of this arrangement, I would argue that those who wish to spend as much of their life as possible with their mate are perfectly within reason and soundness of value to do so. It is my deepest hope that this podcast inspires Generation Z to pursue marriage, become the best spouses and parents the world has ever seen, serve with furious intentionality, love well, and discover the joy of hanging the moon for another. To access my sources, subscribe to the show, or get your copy of my latest book, visit anchor.fm slash seth hensley or check out the show notes of each episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 95 of the Restoring Report podcast. This is going to be a little bit different than what you're used to. I'm currently sick with strep throat, so Landon and I did not record today. I'm going to take a little bit of a hiatus and just try to rest my vocal cords. Um, But I didn't want to leave you guys without content. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to actually do a throwback video or audio segment, rather, of a teaching that I did at a church I was attending uh, at the lo- at the time. It was about two years ago that I gave this message, um, and it was on the family. It's very applicable to the subject of this show, so I'm going to give you guys access to that content today. You guys have never heard this before unless you were in the audience that day, which most of you were not. So again, this message that I gave took place about two years ago. It took place in January of 2020, so this was actually before the birth of this show. This was actually, uh, this this message predates the show, so hopefully you guys will enjoy, and without further ado, here is the message that I gave on Jan- in January of 2020. As some of you know, he's going to come up and talk to you about younger generations and relationships and communities. But before he does that, um, he likes to call himself the catalyst of relationships and the impactor of hearts. I like to tease him a little bit because he uses that as his Instagram bio. (laughs) I love it. And it's perfect for him. I have never seen a person impact so many people that he is close to and pour into them with his heart and soul as this guy. Come on. So I'm not going to talk anymore because I will just cry. So. Um, before I start today, I wanted to say that I'm I'm younger than a lot of people here, so whenever a young person comes up to teach, um, just I just wanted to say that if you know you have way more experience than I do in a lot of the things that I'm going to be talking about, so just you know feel free to not uh, you know 
adopt anything that I'm saying, or only adopt something. Um, I, so I'm young, just keep that in mind. And as Mich Michelle would, I'm sure, remind me, I do have your same Holy Spirit. Amen. I can share, but I'm just saying, I do not have your life experience, which counts for something as well, so I just want to say that. Also, um, I thought I could tell you a little bit about myself, just really quickly. Um, I'm 20 years old. I was homeschooled for my entire uh, pre-college educational experience. My mom did that, yay mom. And, I, yeah. and I'm currently in the middle of my uh, second year of the early childhood education year uh, program at OU Southern. So I'm going to be an elementary teacher. And eventually I want to be a um, licensed marriage and family therapist that I can get that degree online. And that's my that's what I really want to be. I'm just getting the early childhood because it pays the bills. And uh, it's something that I like doing. So. Um, if you don't agree with something that I say, that's fine. Um, I, I, I'm, I have yet to listen to a teaching where I agree with 100% of something that somebody says. So that's fine too. I don't have to agree with everything I'm saying. Today I'm going to talk to you about relationship and the importance of surrounding yourself with community and some things that can impede community in your life. Um, the first kind, I'm going to talk to you about several different kinds of relationship. The first one I'm going to talk to you about is family. Um, when it comes to family, I think we're uh, innately designed for family and we're innately designed for community. And I think that because you were created by a community. You, God is a community. He's Father, Son, yeah. Spirit. And anytime, anything that is in the character of God, I think you should um, make a priority in your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you were created by community for community. And that's the first. I'm going to read you a couple quotes from some teachers that I really like that have helped me a lot. Um, the first one is from Jefferson Bethke. He wrote a book called um, It's Not What You Think, Why Being a Christian is About So Much More Than Going to Heaven When You Die. And this uh, quote that I got uh, is from that book. And so the beautiful truth is that since we were created by a community, we were created for community. If we were made in God's image and God is a community, then that means we are rejecting our humanness when we live isolated and alone. Yeah. That's fundamental to what it means to be human, and that is intimacy. Yeah. So, Another quote that I'm going to read for you is from uh, William Paul Young. Uh, he wrote The Shack, which is a book that I think is absolutely amazing. Um, he says, this is the beauty of the Trinity, that there is a relationship that has always existed between three, and none of them has ever been alone. Family matters to us. Friendships matter to us. It matters deeply because we are relational beings made in the image of a God who is a relational being. So that's why I think community is important, because God is a relationship. Um... So I'm going to talk to you about family first, um, and then I'm going to talk to you about marriage and friendship. Um, family is uh, kind of one of the most important because everybody has a family. If you don't have a family, you had one at one point, and you, everybody has a family in the sense that even if it's not biological, you have somebody filling yeah. that spot in your life. Yeah. And when you don't, there are negative consequences yeah. because you're made to have that. So um, I want to, according to one, another one of my favorite author, authors, the, the modern Western family is a failed experiment. And he doesn't say that as a negative, hopeless view. He simply says that we need to change our approach of how we're doing family. Yeah. And I agree with that because I think uh, family has become, has taken kind of a backseat. And what I mean by that is... Um, 
just the sheer time that we show it compared with the time we show other stuff, um, it's a, it's out of whack. Our priorities are are not um, maybe as as where they should be. Family is kind of looked at as the launching pad for the individual to to help them succeed. But that, I don't think that's really what family is supposed to be about. The family is supposed to be about the individual for the family, not the family for the individual. But the family is kind of the collective unit, you know, that's supposed to be acting together for the kingdom of God. But we're just using family as kind of a, a um, mom and dad paid bills to get their kids to have a good degree so they can get a good job. You know what I mean? And really, I, I think as a parent... This is, and once again, I'm a child. I'm just, I'm not telling you as a parent what to do. This is my opinion. Yeah. Um, I think as parents, your job isn't really, your your number one purpose isn't to make your child succeed. It's to be their parent. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's, that's what I think about that. <laughs> it, should, it should not be solely, family should not be solely about the individual, but the individual should be about the family. And so you might be wondering in today's world where our work and our vocation demands so much of our time how we can actually build and prioritize family the way it should be. Um, and today we have the 40-hour work week is kind of standard. I don't think it's not, it hasn't always been standard, and I definitely don't think that's the heart of God, a 40-hour work week where you're away from your family eight hours a day, typically the husband or the wife. Or, or, or both, um, and the kids are away at school for a long time during the day. That just that amount of time that that they don't have together, I think, is a limit. But I want to say that there are some things that you can do despite that that can that you can do to increase your yeah. family yes. strength. You, yes. And you just have to be intentional about it yeah. during the time that you have. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So. Um, one of the things I think that you can do to do that is to form some family rhythms and traditions. Um, and a lot of times I think, um, I know I, I've been going to Grace Culture, I think, for about four years now, and I, my view of tradition has not been entirely good. <laughs> but I think tradition, that word, I don't think there's anything wrong with that word. Right. I think the traditions are actually something you're designed for, and you can't really get out of that any way you cut it. It's just tradition becomes wrong when you don't let something in your tradition spot be substituted by something else. So when you refuse, tradition is always going to be in your life. You wake up in the morning, you eat three meals a day, you follow the same daily pattern, routine, your brain has these circadian rhythms that you can't get away from. That's just part of your biology. You know, uh, you, I mean, you have, your life is always going to have some degree of tradition. Even what we do in the Sunday or it used to be Sunday, Saturday night, <laughs> uh, Saturday night grace culture thing. Um, we it's not a we are we have traditions. You know, we sing three or four songs. Jake talks, then he closes, and we go. Usually with some declarations at the end, and that's great. And that's not wrong because we are willing to not make that unchangeable. Right. You know I mean? Yeah. Because we we just moved from Sunday to Saturday. That was yes. a huge change. You know. So that's why I think it's awesome. Um, and traditions are actually good for you when you use them the way that God designed them. Rhythms are good for you, and it's important to get good ones. Um, as a family, um, I think that it, it that's part of being intentional. Uh, when I, with my family, we have so many traditions. We have home church. Um, we meet once a month with um, other families, and we talk, and it's really good. It's the best thing uh, 
that I've ever done in my life. And I'm, yeah, definitely. Family night, every Friday, we go out as a family. We have a meal. Every evening, we typically have a showtime where we watch shows together, movies together that we are into at the time. Vacations, lots of people do that. I think that's awesome. Get away from all the stuff and family time. Jake and Michelle just got back from an awesome trip that I think should be modeled by any married couple. Um, yeah. Advent, we used to do Advent when we were kids. That's a great one. Uh, it's a Advent, for those of you who maybe have never done it, it's a, uh, you read a certain chapter of a book, you light a certain candle every day for the first, I think, all the leading up to Christmas, 25 days of December, and um, it accompanies the story that goes with the um, nativity story, which I think is great. Um, one of my favorite authors, one thing he does with his family, he calls it Shabbat, which is um, a Jewish term, Sabbath, you know, Sabbath rest. Um, he does it with his family every Sunday, I believe, and um, it's a thing with just his family. They all gather together, they follow a specific set of rituals and routines, which they are okay with substituting out, you know, and that's what makes it good. And his family benefits hugely from that. Um, he also wakes up every morning and does what he calls a breakfast benediction, and I'm just going to read that to you really quick because it's very good. I'm not what I do, I'm not what I have, I'm not what people say about me, I'm the beloved of God, it's who I am, no one can take it from me, I don't have to hurry, I don't have to worry, I can trust my friend Jesus and share his love with the world. And he repeats that with his children every morning, and I think that's super powerful, yeah. um, and a great way to start your day with your kids. <clears throat> and I think that'll do nothing but sharpen your connection with your family. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It, I'm not what I do, I'm not what I have. I'm not what people say about me. I'm the beloved of God. It's who I am. No one can take it from me. I don't have to hurry. I don't have to worry. I can trust my friend Jesus and share his love with the world. That's good. And another thing I think that can do nothing but strengthen your family is something that we have kind of maybe forgotten a little bit um, today that we might have had a little bit better uh, a long time ago as a, as a people. And that's the importance of the table. And the table is, I think, a great place for, I don't know, even all throughout Scripture, just the sheer number of times that Jesus ate with people in their homes together with them. I just think that's a really special place. <clears throat> I wanted to point out some areas where, uh, of why that was important and uh, how Jesus did that as well. Uh, Jesus on the road to Emmaus, uh, that's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, Luke 24, 13 and 35. Um, He's essentially walking, after he's raised from the dead, he's walking with these people and uh, talking to them about some really deep stuff, and they don't know it's him, <laughs> okay? So they're, they're walking along, and they get to the town where the two men are going, and Jesus acts like he's going to keep going, okay? And, but they say, no, 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 stay with us, it's, the daylight's almost over, and come, come, eat, come eat a meal with us. And, he's, and I love it. He stops what he was doing yeah. in his day, and he goes in and eats with them. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I think we, that needs to be modeled more. For so they drew near to the village in, to which they were going. He acted as, as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And what I wanted to point out was they recognized him at the table when there was a breaking of bread. And I think there's something, I, 
indescribable. I don't know anybody who's done this would, I think, know it. Um, around a table, you're going to see a part of God's heart that you won't see anywhere else. Because when you're with your family, eating a meal, uh, satisfying a basic human need that you can't escape together, it's it's just awesome. And uh, too far too many times today, I see families where they don't have time because of schedule or whatever to actually eat at the same table uh, at the same table at the same time together. And I think that's not worth it. You you got to find some way to you got to find some way to get that back. I think, just my opinion. <clears throat> Hi guys, I want to take a quick break and tell you about an opportunity that you guys have as listeners to become subscribers of this podcast. Now in order to become a sub, all you have to do is follow the subscribe link in the show notes found in the description of each episode. And when you subscribe, you'll get access to exclusive material including additional interviews, all of my spoken word poetry pieces, all of my dramatized allegorical short stories, and even more of my article readings, okay? So lots of content will be available to you that won't be available to anyone else. Subscribing to the show only costs $5 a month, which is less than most people spend on their lunch at work every day, okay? So you won't even notice it disappearing from your bank account. If you enjoy listening to the show and you're looking for an opportunity to financially support the content you care about, this is your chance, okay? Follow the link in the show notes to become a sub. Thank you so much for choosing this show to listen listen to and now without further ado let's get back to the episode and um another thing i wanted to share is just the uh, the uh, reputation that jesus got for himself uh eating with all these people all the time uh this is from another one of my favorite authors his name is frank viola he wrote insurgents reclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and pagan christianity two books that i think are absolutely amazing i just finished one of them um shockingly the reputation that jesus got for himself was that he ate and drank too much (laughs) <laughs> the gossip around Galilee was that Jesus was a glutton and a drunkard. That should encourage you. Jesus Christ, the spotless Son of God, enjoyed being a human. Of course, he was neither glutton nor drunkard, but he was a specialist in eating in other people's homes. <laughs> and I love that. I think that's absolutely amazing. I think that we should model that because there's something about the table. Um, uh, a, a while ago, Elon Zamir, a Messianic Jew, was driving, um, and he sees this dark streak shooting across the road. He can't miss it. He hits it. And he, he kills a 13-year-old Palestinian boy who couldn't hear him coming because he was deaf. Okay? And the relationship between Jew and Palestinian, awful. Throughout history, now, it's just, it's just tense. You know? It's tedious. But because he was a Jesus follower, I think that just kind of comes out of his heart. He wanted reconciliation with that boy's family, which I think is absolutely amazing. Everybody told him, that's stupid, don't even try it. According to their law, they can actually kill you for doing something like that. Don't get involved. Don't go anywhere near them. But he sets the meeting up. He's like, I've got to do this. And through a meeting at the table, that family not only forgives him, but says, you're going to replace the son that you lost. Or the son that we lost. You're going to take the place of the boy that you killed. And to me, that was super powerful. And how that happened at the table. I don't, I don't know that there's anything else that could have bridged a huge divide like that for I just think that's amazing and it's good to keep that in mind the next area that I'm going to talk I'm done with family I wish I wasn't but (laughs) the next thing I'm going to talk to you about is friendship Um, friendship this is one of my favorite teachings I've ever heard Jake do was his uh, I don't think I've ever told him this but it was his um, learners sojourners and sons teaching and I think that was the most underrated sermon I've ever heard. That was amazing. Um, that was amazing. Um, <clears throat> and 
I'll just explain it to you basically. Um, sojourners are the people who, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jake, because it's been a while if I've heard it. <laughs> sojourners are the people who come into your life and they're there one day and kind of gone the next. They've received something from you in the instant moment and they've moved on with their life and you never see them again, okay? Learners are the people who come and they want your head knowledge. They want everything that you have and they take, they're with you as long as they're learning something from you. And the second that they've got what's in your head, they've got all your knowledge, they've got what they think they can gain from you, they're gone. Okay? And then so sons are the people who do all that and they never leave. Okay? Because they want your heart, they want connection with you, and that goes on kind of forever. And they're not going to leave your life. And what I wanted to talk to you about is it's so important to prioritize what it's so important to prioritize what what group your friends are in and keep them in that. Because if you start giving your heart to sojourners and then they leave, you're going to be in a stage of con constant disappointment. And yeah, it's just not going to be pretty. <laughs> um, when you give your heart to learners, you're going to be fine for, you know, three months and then bam, it's going to be the same thing. Um, and then when you give your heart to sons, you'll have given your most valuable resource to people who that's what they wanted. And that's what they're going to keep. You know what I mean? And I've found my inner circle, and I think you have to find it. Because if you don't find yours, you can't... That, that's something God designed you to operate with as an inner circle. Even Jesus ministered to his masses, then he had his 12, you know, that he fell back to and shared his heart more with. And further than that, he had his three, Peter, James, and John. You know what I mean? He has rings, and you should have rings of intimacy. That's uh, Danny Silk. Danny Silk talks about that a lot. I think that was also an underrated teaching. He talks about how the, the outside is kind of the grizzly bears and the great white sharks. The people that are kind of dangerous and will hurt you, don't let them in there. Don't let, don't let them in there. The next ring might be the friends of friends that you know. The next ring might be kind of friends that you worked with or something like that. The next ring might be your close friends. The next ring might be your family. The next ring might be your spouse. And then Jesus is at the center of every single one of those. Jesus, that's another thing William Paul Young says. Um, I hear all, when I was growing up, I heard all the time God wants to be number one. Um, but I don't think God wants to be number one. I think he wants to be numbers one through 400. He wants to be in the middle of every single thing you can possibly imagine. Because to give God just a number one, sure, that's the biggest spot, but it's only one spot. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so, I just wanted to say that there. Um, so, you have to get your rings straight. You have to get your people in their boxes. And I've, I've done this before. I've shared uh, more of my heart than I wanted to with, like, the great white sharks and the grizzly bears. And you, you do regret that, by the way. Because you know, that actually hurts you. Because then they leave and, oh, you know what I mean? They took something with them that I didn't want them to. <laughs> so, it's important that you get that straight. And that, I can't understate that. And the next one I'm going to talk to you about is marriage. Um, I think in today's culture, we might have uh, lost a little bit of the marrying in community. Um, and when I say marrying in community, I mean actually putting your marriage at the center of a community. Because um, I see other people that do that. I listen to, because I want to be a marriage and family therapist, I listen to a lot 
of uh, marriage teachings and family teachings and podcasts and people who have degrees in that. Not that I overvalue degrees. I'm just saying they're passionate about that, so I listen to them. Um, and something that they all seem to say is your marriage needs to be surrounded by people who want it to succeed and people who um, are for you as a couple. And I think it's amazing. What happens is amazing when you have community around your marriage and community of other couples and community of um, families around you. Uh, there's something there that you can't actually get by doing anything else. Um, in Jewish culture, they have this tradition called the chuppah. Um, it, I love it. It's I've heard teachings on this before. It's essentially where the um, the bridesmaids and the groomsmen carry around this like archway over the newly married couple for like weeks, and nobody wants to be a bridesmaid or a groomsman because you have to do that. But what I'm saying, that's so important because from the very get-go, that symbolizes that they're actually, they, their marriage is, you know, reinforced. It's got people wanting it to win. It's got people backing it up. And it's got people um, there for advice, you know, mentoring. That's one of the best decisions I've made this year. I go to um, two couples um, they're in their 50s. I, t I joke. I say, really, some of my best friends are 50 years old. <laughs> and it's so true because mentoring relationships are, we've forgotten them, but they're so good. They're so good. I go to two couples um, every two weeks or so, and I ask them questions about what they think of things, and they give me amazing advice. And that's priceless. You know, that's something you want for your marriage. Uh, marriage counseling is for everybody, not if your marriage is in trouble. You know what I mean? And I think it's really good if uh, people do that. I know we have some counselors. I think Caitlin has been a counselor before. I just think that's so good. I definitely want to do that. <laughs> um, yeah. So after, uh, I hear a lot of people a lot of, say a lot of the times that 50% um, of marriages end in divorce. And, um, you know, yeah, that's a bad statistic. But I, it's almost like people give up a lot. And they say, well, we must, marriage just must be a bad move. You know, and I think that's a horrible idea. I think marriage is a great move that we've done wrongly, and we have errors with it, and we need to fix it, not get rid of it. So, marriage is a great thing, and um, a couple of things that I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, marriage counselors, I looked this up on Google, charge about seventy-five to one hundred and fifty dollars an hour, on average, for marriage counseling, and that is insane. And that's probably why a lot of people don't get it. Um, but let me tell you, I have found so many good resources on app. If you guys have iPhones, just get on your Apple podcast, type in marriage counseling and some of the best things ever come up. Um, and I've listened to a lot of them. I can give you references if you want them. They're amazing. Um, they're just so good. And they're good. They're good people who care about Jesus. Let them come out of them and let him come out of their marriage too. Um, and I just think that's absolutely awesome. In today's world, I think marriage is sometimes seen as simply something to do to improve your own life, your own personal life. And I don't think that's true. I think marriage is so much more broad than that, so much more about giving and mutual service and submission to each other. I just think that's amazing. And far too often it's about um, the individual and when it's really not. Um, but we do have declining marriage numbers for some reason. I, just, I wrote a blog post about this a while ago. Um, and I'm going to share some thoughts on it. 
I'm going to read you a, a part of my article that I wrote. According to Ohio University uh, economist and research scientist Jay Elzagorski, now only about two million marriages happen a year, a drop of almost half a million from their peak. Despite the extreme poverty and financial hardship of the time, more people were getting married in the Great Depression than there are now. In fact, we're seeing fewer marriages today than we've seen in the last 150 years, including the years of World War I and World War II, when most men were away fighting. I used to think that the economic infrastructure of society was solely responsible for the decline of marriages. I used to think, when I was little, I thought, people aren't getting married because they can't afford it. You know, it's expensive, and there's so many, you know, it's easier to just live by yourself that kind of thing, but uh, I was wrong because this article points out that you know, regardless of how bad you think the economy is today, I'm sure we can all agree the Great Depression was worse. <laughs> so what I mean is, if there are more people getting married there, then it's something else. So what's the, ca the cause of marital decline? I think um, people believe that marriage means giving up on all their dreams. I think that's extremely false. I think that, that sh you should be willing to, yes, but that doesn't mean that that should happen. You know, you're designed to do, the marriage should actually push you towards those, you know? So when people, yeah, that's a misconception. People uh, skip marriage and just move in with each other for whatever reason, depending on your worldview. Some people say um, they want to avoid commitment. They want to, they don't want to, it's just a piece of paper, that kind of argument. Some people say, um, a, there's so many things that people say about that, but they're doing it. Another thing that they're doing is marriage is sometimes just not portrayed as a good thing. And that's, that might be because we don't, we have the 50% marriage success rate, you know, from all these other reasons. And it's a cycle because we have that bad rate. People see that and then they don't want to get married. We have bad rate. People see that and then they don't want to get married. So, you know, I wrote in my blog a long time ago, children who are products of broken romance will think will grow up to think that romance is broken. That's just their, that's going to be their, their worldview. And it's incorrect, but it's what it's going to be. Another reason could be that men aren't pursuing like they used to, and women aren't as open as they used to. It could also be that we're not teaching people the needed skills for a marriage. I find it amazing that kids spend 12 years in the public school system learning math and science. They don't one time learn communication, conflict resolution, compromise, how their family is going to be different than their spouse's family when they grow up, and they're going to have to stand in each other's shoes, you know? There, there's none of that. All we teach them is math and science, and I, for one, need this 10 million times more than I need math and science. Let me just, and I'm not saying math and science are unimportant. I'm just, those are great. Just in my personal life, I, I need more than that, and it's not there. You know, there's no marriage counselor in the public school system. <laughs> that's not how it works. And because I don't know, maybe we think that they're not ready for that or whatever. I think kids are ready for that from the day they come out of the womb. You have to raise them. I don't know. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm going to change that when I get in the school. <laughs> so that's something I'm going to do that I've decided to do. Now I'm going to talk to you about some things that could possibly... Um, hinder your all of the relationships that I've talked about. Um, one of the number one things that I think can do that is kind of our hustle culture as America. I think out of reaction to laziness and whatnot that we've seen in the past, we're now uh, 
emphasizing work so much that it's actually higher on the priority list than it should be. You know, work should not be your number one priority. Um, I'm read, I read a book recently. It's called To Hell with Hustle by Jefferson Bethke. Highly recommend this book. Um, Reclaiming Your Life in an Overworked, Overspent, and Overconnected World. Um, and he talks a lot about how things have changed. You know, with he talks about October 7th, 1913 being the day that Hustle was born because of the assembly line and all this good stuff that came from that. And we have all these amazing inventions now, but we lost something. And that was the... That with the, all this industrialism, we've lost... Work has now become kind of an idol in our head. We've elevated to the level of something so important, it should trump everything, and it shouldn't trump everything for one relationship, which is way higher, way higher on the priority list than, than we've actually made it. There comes a point when work is actually too hard, and that point is when each step forward begins to kill something priceless behind you. So if your work, I mean, I'm absolutely go for hard work, but if you're pushing so hard that you're killing something important, you need to stop. You know what I mean? If you, you, you might have the highest Instagram account followers in the world. You might, your business might have blown off the map and you're so rich now. You know, you, you might have run straight into the Guinness Book of World Records, but did you look back to see if your marriage is still behind you? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, because that's important. That's, that's a huge priority. And I think people, I don't know. And, and, and it's, I'm not saying that desire for hard work is bad. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, maybe we should take a minute and say, am I losing something? Am I losing something? Um, a lot of time, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Used to, also, work used to be something that families did together. And now, like, families used to trailblaze across America. That took a family working together. You didn't do that by yourself. That's insane. Um, people used to just to work fields as a family. Every person had a role. They all worked together in doing that. And I'm not saying we have to go back to everyone being a farmer and agriculture being king. I'm just saying that maybe we should look back to see what we lost from that time period, you know? Because now the mom goes to work, the dad goes to work, the kids go to work. I would call school work. They're all going their separate ways and then they come back and the home has kind of become like a hub where individuals are moving in and out, living entirely separate lives and not actually connecting with each other. And I, I totally don't think that's the design of the home and that's not a, the design of a family. And I really appreciate that my family doesn't do that because we take intentional time not to do that. And I think that's important. Um, another thing that could impede your relationships is um, achievement. I learned from one of my mentors this week, there have been Olympic medalists who were offered a pill that would enhance their performance, but it would kill them six months later, and they said they would take it. Because it would enhance their performance so they could get a better medal. I'm sure thinking they would go down in history as one of the greatest athletes of all time. Sure. But you just killed yourself and all your relationships by doing that. You know, and yeah, you know, do you have a, yeah, that, that's, a, that's, that's a bad move. That's a selfish move. You know, I think a lot of the times, yeah, sin is dead. We talk about that a lot here. Sin is dead, but there's still a morality. 
Because God has a heart that has a character. And when you do something not in alignment with that character, that is not moral, in my opinion. Once again, you can disagree. But I'm just saying, that to me is a moral issue. Pursuing your own personal success to the point where you're killing indispensable things is a moral issue. So, achievement culture. That's another thing that can kill your relationships. Absolutely kill them. Another thing that can kill them is kind of this American uh, view of independence. We have a really strong view of independence in this country for obvious reasons. You know, the Declaration of Independence. And that's great because independence from evil is amazing. But I think today we want to be independent from evil and good and everything because we don't want to, we think of it as a limitation. And it's not a limitation. It's made for your flourishing. You know, relationships are made for your flourishing, but we have people that say, I don't need another. I don't need a family. I don't need a community because I'm strong in and of myself, which absolutely, you're valuable, you are strong. But it, that, to say that so often, it might be, uh, I don't know what the word is here, describe it, um, limiting your ability to connect with other people. Because you are made to need community. You know, that's in the heart of God. God is a community, and God shouldn't need anything, but he is a community. You know, God rested on the seventh day. God, of all people, should not need rest, but he did it anyway. That, to me, that says, that's important. Yeah, that's important. So, you're, you're made to need, and that's okay. Need is not an, a bad thing. Need is not a bad thing. Uh, I'm going to read you an article that I wrote on this in July, I think. <clears throat> independence, I'm, I refer to this, this bad, this dark independence as Pearl. I named it Pearl. <laughs> independence has many children. Freedom is one, strength is another. But independence has a third child. One that, though seemingly innocent and beautiful, does not share in the spirit of goodness found in her sisters. For the sake of Nathaniel Hawthorne, I like the scarlet letter. I will call this child Pearl. What is Pearl? Who is Pearl, this third child of independence? Pearl is self-sufficiency. Pearl is monotone singularity. She is one half of a coin who thinks herself complete. She is an interlocking piece that deems herself a whole. Pearl is the egg which seeks to fertilize itself. She is in independence not for the sake of freedom from bondage, but for the sake of independence itself. She relies on nothing and therefore deems herself free of all limitation, but in doing so has inflicted upon herself the greatest limitation of all time, to be alone. Pearl is independence from evil, yes, but also from good. In order to rely at nothing at all costs, she has separated herself from all. Her cry from the rooftops has morphed from a declaration of independence into a declaration of eye dependence. Upon her visage of unchanging contentedness in bright jubilant red can be read the words, I need nothing. I need no one. I want for nothing. I am enough. Pearl is the reutterance of that very first lie, that seed of wretched filth which sprouted in the, in the heart of humanity at the dawn of time. What if I could be self-sufficient? What if I could be God? What if I could take care of myself? What if I could be my, my own source? What if I were independent? Pearl is the life form that emerges when the sludge of conceited independence merged with the self-sufficiency of feminism drips down upon the countenance of an individual. Pearl is the hatred of water and food, of air and shelter, of intimacy and love, of any need required by the human soul or body because to need anything is to rely on something other than oneself. And in the mind of Pearl, such a reliance is weakness. 
Upon the physi- physiognomy of pearl can never be seen anything which remotely resembles need because in the mind of our sweet, stupid pearl, need is equivalent to weakness. And I think that is something that kids especially need to know because today in schools it's you can't need anything. And if you show anybody you need anything, if you have emotional needs, physical needs, uh, mental, spiritual needs, they're going to look down on you. You know what I mean? And that's so, so twisted and messed up. And it's all, the last thing I'm going to talk about is um, limitation. We don't want to be limited in any way. And um, I think that, and I agree that limitation, you know, as a child of God is not good. I'm just saying that we want to be unlimited so much that we're actually not following the example of God. Because what God did was put all kinds of limits on himself. First, he uh, confined himself to a tent and let people carry him around in the desert in order to be with them. You know, God limits himself in crazy ways in order to be with you. And I think we need to be willing to do the same thing. And then he, then he comes to earth as a, as a human, you know, that goes to the bathroom and eats three times a day. That kind of, that's a huge limitation for the creator of the cosmos. You know, but he chose that anyway because that's what he was willing to do to be with you. And then he went even farther and he limited himself to now be in every single person. Now he's not even a person. He's in all of you. He's in all of your, your souls. He's permeating your, your, your very being and you're limited. You know, you can't just fly around like he, like he could. I'm sure he could do that if he, he's God. But he chooses to limit himself in order to be with you. And it's not limiting. As a child of God, you have no limitation. That's not what I'm saying. But Jesus is willing, willing to limit himself in order to be, if that's what it means to be with people. And he does it all the time. He's, he's limited himself, Jake would say, to all the things you think about him in, in your head. He's willing to jump in those boxes just to be with you. One of the m- most amazing quotes William Paul Young ever said was, the only time you'll find God in a box is when he climbed in there to be with you. <laughs> and to me, that I think I, I could have butchered that quote, but that's just, to me, that is absolutely amazing. And um, we need to realize that more than ever. More than ever. That's all that I have, and I'm greatly uh, appreciative to Miss Michelle for asking me to do it, and for and for Jake and everybody for letting me. I hope I didn't go over. I hope I didn't go under. Okay, awesome. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it.